There is a risk that over the next few years, nearly £120 billion of shareholder value is destroyed just by unoptimized advertising spend in the UK alone. Hi, I'm Ian Whitaker. As an analyst, I've been invited by JC Decoe to bring to you key pieces of macroeconomic research and insight that gives senior marketers guidance and practical advice on how to plan marketing strategies to become change agents in your organization. Today, we are talking about the concept of unoptimized ad spend, which received a lot of interest from my latest report. And I'm delighted to be interviewing Sam Tomlinson, PwC's media sector leader and founder of their multi-award winning marketing and media assurance team. Sam, welcome. Thanks, Ian. Delighted to be here. Yeah, and it's great to have you here as well, Sam. And obviously, sort of uh, your report sort of certainly created a lot of interest sort of, of when it was produced. But just wanted to, to sort of uh, sort of touch on a topic sort of that mentioned here was uh, get your thoughts on it as well, which was you know, when sort of uh, produced the report, the, the pause and play, one of the key findings sort of from that were, was just that the potential amount of lost shareholder value that was coming through from unoptimized ad spending. And this was spending that, you know, particularly when it came to digital, wasn't being placed in the right way. Maybe it was been missed. Maybe you know, it couldn't be an allocated for, so forth. Yeah, it'd be too much on activation uh, and so much on uh, too little on brand. Just be quite interested to sort of uh, get your thoughts in terms of how, from your standpoint, obviously coming from PwC, how you see the whole concept in terms of unoptimized ad spend and some some sort of findings and thoughts that you've had on the topic. I could probably break this down into three areas. Yeah. So um, there's the study that we published in 2020, looking mm. at programmatic advertising specifically. Mm. Um, there's what we see in digital advertising more generally, including both paid search and social. Um, and then there's uh, the question of allocation across all media types. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe we could touch on each of those three areas, but. You know, if it's okay with you, I suggest we start with the programmatic report. No, I think I think that's absolutely that's absolutely fine. Uh, and your report, when it actually sort of came out, really created sort of a, a wave of interest just for many advertisers and indeed the industry saying, well, in terms of the amount of spending here, the advertisers in terms of for every pound they put in, sort of how much is taken out, both in terms of the intermediaries and also as well, just in terms of, of how much couldn't be accounted for sort of, of what that meant. Did you want to talk through your key findings of that? What thought about programmatic? Maybe we'll go on sort of then to talk about the reaction that you had to that, because particularly interested from an advertiser standpoint, what they thought. Yeah. So um, to recap on, on the study, um, so we were engaged by uh, ISBAR, the UK advertiser trade body, and AOP, the publisher body. Um, they tasked us with mapping programmatic advertising supply chains end-to-end, -end, so effectively that's from advertiser to agency to demand-side platform, DSP, supply-side platform, SSP, mm -hmm. through to publisher. Nobody had ever done this before. Um, previous studies had actually had to stop at the DSP and guess the rest. Mm -hmm. um, the work took place from 2019 into 2020. Mm -hmm. um, we had uh, 15 um, premium advertisers. Mm -hmm. We had... Uh, five DSPs, six SSPs. Um, we had eight agency networks represented and we had 12 premium publishers. Mm -hmm. So it's like 50 something organizations yeah. uh, in total. Um, we gathered uh, about 1.3 billion impressions from the buy side, mm -hmm. of which about 
0.3 billion were served through our study tech vendors to our study publishers. Mm -hmm. We were able to match 12% of that. So that was 31 million impressions. Um, and within those, what we identified was, you know, firstly and most importantly, some real challenges with data access and data quality. Okay. But within the matched impressions, mm -hmm. roughly half the money reaching the publishers and about 15% disappearing into what we called the, the unknown delta. Which is remarkable because from an analyst standpoint, if I look at that and I think about the amount of money that is spent sort of by companies on advertising, the amount of money which is obviously going into digital uh, and sort of, but just in terms of that lost money that goes through, I mean, that, that's a huge destruction of shareholder value that's coming through from that. I mean, what, what do advertisers, what, what did advertisers say when they saw this? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. Um, so there's, I'll, I'll talk about the the reaction at, at three levels, yeah. which might make sense. So, so first of all, you had the reaction um, of the, the trade bodies in the UK. And I think this is a really good story. So you had the four relevant trade bodies, ISBAR and the AOP, plus the IAB for tech vendors and the IPA for agencies. They came together, formed a UK-wide industry task force focused on... Um, trying to resolve those issues with data access and data quality, mm -hmm. which is a precursor to then investigating and driving down the Delta. So, so that, that was a UK industry response. And I think that's very positive. Um, uh, we've been part of that task force. Mm -hmm. And there's, um, ISBAR announced, oh, sorry, the task force announced just in the last sort of month or so that we're, we're going to undertake a repeat of the study over the next few months to see if the situation has improved as a result of the task force's mm -hmm. activities. Um, uh, Second response was the international response mm -hmm. where the, the ANA has initiated a similar study in the US mm -hmm. with my counterparts at PwC US. That's due to report by the end of this year. And then you had the individual advertiser responses. Mm -hmm. And here, it's a mixed bag, I would say. Mm -hmm. You had some advertisers who, frankly, filed this in the too difficult to deal with mm -hmm. buckets and, and, uh, and, and have done nothing. Um, Personally, I don't think that's a great response. If 15% of my programmatic spend was potentially disappearing into a delta, I'd, I'd want to know more. More promisingly, you had um, some of the agencies have distinguished themselves by setting up like well-curated, premium, fully auditable private marketplaces. Okay. Um, we've, we have audited some of them with very promising findings, the delta right down, the amount reaching publishers right up. Mm -hmm. So I think that's very promising. Um, you had some advertisers who have chosen to take direct SSP relationships themselves, okay. which means that then you can secure the log level data from both mm -hmm. sides, match it, drive down the delta. Mm -hmm. Again, we the work we've done suggests that's promising. Um, uh, and, and then finally, you, you have the advertisers who are really leaning into the industry responses like the ISBAR study and, mm -hmm. and supporting that as a repeat of the study. So some advertisers, not great, some really yeah. good. Okay. I mean, if... if yeah without pushing things too far, if you were to sort of split that down in sort of, of rough percentages of which would be, <laughs> I know that's always a tough one in terms of things, but I mean, it'd be interesting to know whether the sort of, of the advertisers who put their head in the sand, as it were, sort of whether that was sort of a small minority, a large minority, or... I, 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 I would say that most advertisers have not fully engaged with this issue. Right. I would say the majority. Yeah. Um, those that have engaged, mm -hmm. I think, have uh, really engaged well. 
So this would be the ones in the first study, mm -hmm. the ones participating in the second study, those that have looked at the um, agency PMPs or mm -hmm. direct SSP relationships. You know, it's a minority, but they're the ones who are really benefiting. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that's the way it should be. The, the ones who pay attention are the ones who get the benefit. Yeah. I mean, as I said, I just find it incredible as uh, coming from an analyst standpoint and coming in terms of, of, again, going back to this point of shareholder value. Yeah, because again, I mean, the numbers that have done for the sort of worked it out on a, a, a sort of discounted cash flow model base and looked at long term on that. I mean, 120 billion pounds of lost shareholder value across the, and this is just for UK advertising. It's not a small number. And, you know, given the fiduciary responsibility of boards to, to really maximize shareholder value, I'm surprised there's not more attention. Are you finding with many advertisers that, you know, again, coming back to this spend, that sort of the engagement of boards and sort of, of senior management teams, do you, do you see it really there or do you see sort of more the idea that advertising is something to be dealt by the advertising department and we as a board don't really need to deal with this topic? Um I should just clarify that your 120 billion obviously doesn't arrive solely from programmatic advertising. No, of course, or, or, exactly. Or, or our yeah, 15%. Yeah. But just, to uh, just, just to clarify. Absolutely. Um, I think that um, I think that at a lot of boards, mm -hmm. marketing and advertising is something delegated to the marketing team, mm -hmm. um, perhaps with some in input from procurement. Um, and, and that historically has been because it perhaps it's just been viewed as a cost center mm -hmm. um, rather than a real driver of value, wrongly in my view. Um, and then perhaps now that's reinforced by the fact that advertising and marketing have become very driven by technology and data. Mm -hmm. um, a board might shy away from some of that because it's so complicated to try to understand it. Yeah. So, so I think you, you, you've got some factors there that are unhelpful. Mm -hmm. What I would say is the the groups who are really good at this, mm -hmm. and I'm thinking here of, you know, some of the big advertisers, mm -hmm. um, those who know that marketing has driven their brand and sales for many years, they typically do have a well-structured governance setup, mm -hmm. you know, linking the marketing team with procurement, also with finance, mm -hmm. so that you can then get a reporting line through to both, you know, through to the, the CFO, for yeah. example, paying real attention. So again, I think a minority do this really well. The yep. majority don't. Yeah. No, I said, I, I find it really, really fascinating. And I mean, moving a bit sort of away from programmatic in terms of the sort of of the wider sort of digital sphere and, and social media in particular and so forth. I mean, what were some of your findings or what were some of your views and what you're seeing at the moment in terms of the, the market and how that spending has been optimized? Yes, yeah, great question. So, so the study that we've become famous for was mm. specifically into what we called open web programmatic. Mm -hmm. So that was all digital um, programmatic advertising outside the big walled gardens. Yep. Um, if you then expand our discussion area to include things like paid search, the various types of social media, um, that there's not an issue there with money disappearing in the supply chain because mm -hmm. you know if you pay money to a social media owner, you know, you know where it's gone. Um, what you do find, though, is question marks over how well those campaigns are being executed. Mm -hmm. And typically what we find when we look at um, digital campaign execution, any type of digital advertising, any advertiser, any agency, any region of the mm -hmm. world, we usually find at least sort of 20% optimization benefit being available, which I think sounds broadly consistent with yeah. some of what you've seen in terms of um, unoptimized 
yeah. spend. So, you know, our findings independently, our findings are consistent with yours, I would say. Right. Okay. I mean, and again, it, it was, we talked in episode one, just about the, the, the sort of Adidas in terms of when they did their study in terms of, of, of keywords and finding out sort of what was sort of, of whether it was effective or not. And it, it sort of leads on to another topic that I want to go into in terms of the, the importance of economic, economic metric models and sort of, of the importance for advertisers really to have sort of, of good quality input data and also as well to use independent agnostic models. I mean, one of the findings from, from the Adidas study, probably the one that, that I would say knocked me back the most was in terms of the attribution models they were using in order to say where they should put their advertising spend. They were using attribution models provided by Google and Facebook and Adobe. I mean, people with a vested interest so it, in the whole approach and the, and the outcome. And just from your standpoint, I mean, this is obviously an area where you've done a huge amount of work in. You've helped a lot of people in terms of, of, of really sort of, of look at this topic. What would you say to advertisers in terms of when they're approaching the, the subject of economic metric models, what they should do in terms of the quality of their data, how they should go about it? Because I think for many people, actually, sort of, of, I think many advertisers and marketers would like to do this. What they often don't know is really how to start. Some great questions yeah. in there. I'm going to try and unpick a, yeah, a, a exactly. series. Sorry, I realise there's quite a <laughs> series of thoughts here. So, so the first thing I would say actually is, um, uh, so our team is, we are pro all advertising, but mm -hmm. actually we think fundamentally advertising drives shareholder value, yeah. uh, provided it's done well. Mm -hmm. um, and within that, we are pro digital advertising. Um, you know, we're pro offline, we're pro online. Again, provided it's done well. Yeah. And, and what we see typically is because there's been many more years of agencies building up expertise in offline advertising, typically that is done well. You know, every agency can plan and buy TV to a good standard, mm -hmm. I, would, I would say. That's not yet true of, of digital advertising. So, so when we're talking to brands about effectiveness, the first thing we say is make sure all of your advertising channels are being as well executed as possible, just within the channel itself, even before you think about allocation. Um, to use a slightly glib analogy, um, if all your TV ads went out at three o'clock in the morning and nobody saw them, you would run an econometric model, which would conclude TV was really bad for your bad, bad form of advertising. Yeah. That would be an erroneous conclusion. Yeah. So first thing, step one, get all of, all of your channels operating effectively. Mm -hmm. Then step two, think about how you're going to measure effectiveness and optimizing between them. Mm -hmm. And... On that, attribution modeling mm -hmm. carries a lot of challenges. Mm -hmm. So um, last click attribution, always been a bad idea. Mm -hmm. I think people instinctively yeah. know that. Multi-touch attribution, often, as you say, non-independent, provided by people with an interest, perhaps, mm -hmm. perceived or actual in the outcome. Um, and in addition, multi-touch attribution, in our experience, typically says more about the underlying modeling assumptions and finally, it's reliant on third-party cookies, mm -hmm. which in a world rapidly moving to a post-cookie status, yeah. that, that doesn't feel like a great measure of effectiveness. So that then leads to econometrics. So I'll pause for a second, mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, I'm happy to go into econometric modeling in a bit more detail and how that can be done. Well, I think for, I think maybe the best thing, just given the amount of, I mean, if you could provide sort of an overview, that would be great. I think probably the best thing, if people have questions afterwards, 
then they can contact you and and come back. Because I'm sure many people listening to this sort of realise it's a topic that that perhaps they need to look more into. But as I said, I, I think there's an element of comfort there for people to almost, as it were, they need a a, a guiding hand. But but maybe if, if you could give us as it were the 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 one hundred one. One hundred one on econometrics. Um, so effectively, um, econometrics is um, you know, it developed through economic theory. It, mm-hmm. It's it's ultimately a way of trying to understand how demand and sales is driven by various input factors. Mm-hmm. One of which will be marketing mm-hmm. in all its forms: price, promotions, sponsorship, and advertising. And then advertising split between. Um, uh, offline, so TV, press, radio, out of home, cinema, and then digital split between search, social, programmatic, mm-hmm. etc. Um, classical econometrics, however, suffers from some flaws. Primarily, um, classical econometrics typically assumes a fixed base of sales mm-hmm. and then looks at the short-term impact of your marketing activities. A- and therefore, it's an it is an improvement over last click or multi-touch mm-hmm. attribution. At least it's accounting for the offline marketing and sales, which attribution can't. Attribution is an online mm-hmm. only tool. Um, what it doesn't, what it tends to do though, is it tends to overemphasize the importance of your short-term marketing and advertising, mm-hmm. and underplay the long-term benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why when we're talking to clients, we recommend a, a sophisticated form of econometrics, specifically to get very technical. State-based econometrics yeah. using vector error correction modeling. What that means <laughs> that in English is very technical. Yeah, yeah. Very <laughs> what that means in English is effectively you, you are modeling for a moving base of sales, mm-hmm. which to put this in marketing language means you are understanding and properly accounting for the long-term benefit of your brand building activities, mm-hmm. and therefore typically results in a reweighting away from short-term campaign activities and more towards long-term brand building, yeah. which is something that. Intuitively, most marketers already know. Yeah, but it takes some really sophisticated econometric theory to prove them right. Yeah, and and this is yeah, this is obviously one of the problems that people have had in terms of the proof that they need in order to go back. And it'd be something that sort of I know we're going to discuss more in our next episode, but just in terms of boards and and the importance there, as we're speaking the language so that boards understand. I just want to sort of go back to something that you you mentioned in terms of. of yeah, obviously we are the end of the third party cookies. And we're obviously now sort of of getting an environment where that is now coming through. You've had Apple's changes. And now also as well, what you appear to have is the rise of multiple walled gardens, where many advertisers are really sort of of approaching their data as a valuable resource to have, and therefore it's been kept behind their own sort of of, of their own systems. I just wonder from your standpoint, just, just maybe a few quick thoughts on what do you think will be sort of of, of the implications of that when it comes to the whole sort of unoptimized ad spend, programmatic, et cetera? Yeah. Um, so I think, first of all, you know, third-party cookies will go. Um, obviously, Google have deferred once. There's there's a possibility they might defer again, but these are deferrals. These are not cancellations. Yeah. The long-term direction of travel is clear, and you can see that with changes Apple have made, yeah. et cetera. Um, uh, I think we've always been skeptical about third-party data, mm-hmm. both about its accuracy and about its often unclear permissioning history. Mm-hmm. Um, first-party data, you know, customer first-party data, and in particular, publisher audience first-party data, mm-hmm. typically in our experience, is high-quality, accurate, 
it can be certified and verified. It can be properly permissioned. Um, so the winners from the end of cookies should be those premium publishers that can build out their first party data and get it properly permissioned. Um, if you are one of those publishers, I think you will then want to be ensuring that that value accretes to you and not to a tech mm -hmm. intermediary. And therefore, we are somewhat skeptical about the future of the identity tech providers okay. because I think to the extent publishers want to share a unique identifier, mm -hmm. they will want to share it with other premium publishers. Yeah. So the value is shared between them, mm -hmm. not handed over to a, an ID tech yeah. pr pr provider. Um, I think that that, you know, that then creates a really interesting um, ecosystem potentially in which you have premium publishers collaborating to achieve the scale that allows them to compete with, you know, the likes of Google and, and Facebook, et cetera. Yeah. And you can see signs of this in the UK. I think Ozone is a really good example. Mm -hmm. And you could imagine the um, television broadcasters gradually coming together around a similar solution for broadcast avoid and addressable TV, yeah. for example. And that, that in itself brings an interesting point as well, because one of the things we talked about in episode one was, as it were, the silo effect that you get, you, know, you get things such as AVOD, you know, digital out of home, as it were. You, you've got this sort of weird split where it's seen as still TV and out of home. But for example, when it comes to the IAB, it's included within digital ad spend. I mean, sort of in terms of, of advertisers, when they're thinking about sort of, of, do they still tend to think in terms of siloed spend? Are you seeing a sort of change away from, from people realizing those sort of, of old definitions are becoming obsolete? Again, it's a shift and probably similar to what I said earlier, forward thinking advertisers, the minority, absolutely. Others, you know, uh, a little way to go, yeah. perhaps. But yeah, if I think about digital out of home specifically, mm -hmm. um, so first of all, we're big supporters of out of home. Yeah. You know, it's great advertising medium. Some uh, advertisers in the UK have consistently proven its value. I'm thinking here of people like Sky and McDonald's, yeah. you know, big supporters of out of home. Um, the... The important thing here for digital out of home mm -hmm. is to not simply be a reallocation of, of, of a print billboard to a digital billboard. It yeah. needs to be to tap into the digital budgets themselves. Exactly. And that means yeah. requires them to be able to talk the language of the digital team at the mm -hmm. agency, not just the language of the out of home specialist. Yeah. And that, that I think is going to be a challenge for, yeah, it's going to be a challenge across the board. And you're already seeing this sort of already. It's interesting in the States, for example, where you've got particularly the main broadcasters that have set to the media buyers, here's linear, here's AVOD, it's all bundled together, and this is what you're buying off. So obviously many media buyers haven't been particularly happy with that, but it's probably something that will continue, I would imagine, moving forwards. I just want to end just on one final question, if I may. And yeah, obviously without giving away too many trade secrets and so forth, on the, I would be interested to hear how you think things progress over the next couple of years yet yeah, in the whole of the the programmatic space when it comes to sort of of when it comes to advertising and how they approach digital ad spend as well yeah because obviously as you said you've done a lot of work in this particular area you as we talked about there's a lot of potential value here for firms to really extract if they can optimize their advertising processes as well where do you think things will go from here i think for for the larger advertisers, mm -hmm. um, uh, what I think will happen is 
there will gradually be a splitting of the digital and programmatic market between, mm. um, obviously, the, the likes of Google, Facebook will continue to be there, yeah. clearly. Um, w w within um, what we've typically called the open web, I think the open web will then split between well-curated private marketplaces mm -hmm. for premium publishers and similar types of marketplaces for, for example, um, broadcast of and addressable TV yeah. or digital out of home. Mm -hmm. And I think that sort of long tail of proper open market programmatic, I think that that will gradually become the playground for smaller advertisers. Okay. I think bigger advertisers will look at the overall ecosystem. Yeah. Third party cookies gone, concerns around fraud, viewability, brand safety, spend leakage, and data permissioning. All five of those areas are much easier to mitigate in a well-curated premium private marketplace than they are in the open web. Yeah. No, I, I sort of there wouldn't be much in there I would disagree with sort of on that point. Well, Sam, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure to hear what you were doing in the sector. I'm delighted to say that you'll be joining me again in our next episode, where we'll be discussing some of the accounting practices of marketing and how to frame advertising as an intangible capital expenditure. I'm sure that many people will have sort of questions on this. So yeah, Sam very kindly has said that, that he's quite willing to take questions. So Sam's email is sam.tomlinson at pwc.com. Again, thanks very much, Sam. We hope you enjoyed listening and wherever you get your podcasts, don't forget to subscribe, like and share. For further resources, downloadable slides and more information on all the topics covered in our podcasts, visit changemakers.jcdeco.co.uk. You'll also find my short e-learning series there on how to speak the language of the CFO on the JCDeco Digital Academy. Thanks for joining and see you next time.